0: I'm Adrian Sykes, and welcome to Did You Know Pioneers, the podcast dedicated to telling the stories of the executives of colour who have led the way in the UK music business. In this episode, we talk to Radio Plugger and management company and label owner, Mel Rudder, about her life and career in the music business. Here's what Mel had to say when I asked her why she chose the music industry.
1: I wonder if it's because I was a bit rubbish at everything else. I knew that I was interested in music. I think when I was at college, I thought I was the greatest singer in the world and I'd be in the canteen, singing all over the place, you know, trying to riff all over the place. And I knew that music was in me, but I actually just wasn't very good at it. So I just thought that, okay, if I if I can't be the musician myself, um, maybe I can help others. So I just wanted to be behind the scenes. I didn't really know what behind the scenes meant. I I didn't know what it entailed to be behind the scenes. I didn't know how records were. I didn't know anybody in the music industry. It was just a bit of a blank. So college-wise, I went to study media. And that kind of gave me an idea that there might be different jobs like marketing and things like that. But I had no idea. But I always just had this passion for music
0: and helping people. And how early was that passion for for music ignited? I mean, Black households have always been known for their great love of music. And it's the thing that draws people together, whether it be parties or before you go to church on a Sunday. But music has always been a part of black households and bringing out that passion and that conversation. What was the music that you were listening to as you were growing up that fueled that kind of fire? Well, I
1: grew up in a Bajan household. So it was a lot of soca. It was a lot of reggae. That's what I grew up with. My mum used to send me to Barbados over the summer holidays for the whole six weeks to be with my grandmother. So, you know, I think soca has just been in my, my blood, really. My dad was a massive soul and R&B fan, so I used to hear a lot of those kind of records as well. And one of my cousins is actually Heather Small that was in M People. Okay. So she was obviously in the early 90s, you know, her career was crazy. And I remember going to Top of the Pops to see her. And my dad used to work at the BBC as a carpenter. So he worked for Top of the Pops and EastEnders, um, you know, so I used to get the scripts of uh, top of the pops and you know the scripts that the presenters yeah. used to and I used to just read them and I was just like oh this is amazing so music was definitely a big part of my family
0: but whilst you were doing all these things and uh, being in around music education was clearly very very important to you because you did your degree in marketing did you believe at that point that you were going to use that degree to go into the music business or did you think about other areas Or was it always music as your first choice?
1: I think my mom academically knew that I wasn't the brightest of sparks, but she knew that I needed to finish school and go to college and go to uni. So I think we came to a compromise that, you know, yes, I needed to go to college and get some form of degree. So I did media studies at college. And then she was just like, you need to go and do a degree. And so I was like, well, it needs to be music orientated. So um, I first went to Buckinghamshire University where I did music industry management. And I think that that was like the first time that there was like a music industry course. At that point, I just wanted to get stuck in. That's when I knew there was things going on behind the scenes and stuff. And I just wanted to really get stuck in. And that first year you talked about law, you talked about, you know, all this stuff that I just didn't give a damn about. And I just wasn't very good at it. So I literally just lasted the year. And then they kicked me out because I was never going. My mum was just like, well, you need to go and do a degree elsewhere then. You need to just get a degree anywhere or, and do something which I thought there was actually at the time I just thought it was just a waste of time but i now in hindsight I think it's the one of the most valuable things that I um, actually did and have that marketing degree I decided to do marketing and and that just taught me about discipline. It taught it taught me about structure. You know, it, it just taught me key things that I might not be doing marketing now, but I am doing a, a form of marketing, and I think that it helped me a lot. So I'm really grateful for my mom. Not that I'd ever tell her, but I I I think it it was really important for me to just get that degree.
0: So what was your first break into the, into the business, and how did you start your career?
1: My friend actually introduced I don't know how she did it but she got in touch with Hakim who was setting up a street team at Warner Music and at the time the uh, company was called East West Records she had got in touch with Hakim to join the street team and then she asked me to join as well so that was my in and then she ended up actually going to Sony BMG street team. I don't even remember why or what happened or what, but for some reason she went to Sony BMG and then I stuck with East West. The street team at the time, there was three big street teams, actually four, but the ones that were at the main labels, there was um, East West Records that looked after a lot of the Atlantic US uh, roster There was uh, Def Jam Street Team, which was a part of Universal. Um, So they would deal with that. And then there was Sony BMG as well. So those were the main uh, street teams um, from the labels. And, you know, we'd obviously promote um, whatever artists we're plugging at the moment. If an artist came to town for a gig, we'll be wearing the T-shirts. We'll be outside with the banners and all that kind of stuff and, you know, I did that while I was doing my degree. I would go and do my studies and then straight after I'd head to Kensington uh, where the office was and um, help with setting up the posters, getting the T-shirts ready, getting ready to go outside of club nights, you know, all that kind of stuff or concerts and stuff like that. So, you know, that's what I did for a year and a half or two years or something
0: like that. One of the things that I found very interesting talking to two or three people is that that street team has produced incredible people over the years. And it's a real testament to the fact that by starting somewhere that gives you a window of opportunity, if you seize it you can actually go on and do greater things. Did you actually feel that at the time, that by being in and around those people, that opportunity, that there was a real path for you to kind of grow yourself into the business? Was that a point where you felt, I could really have a career here?
1: Looking back, I felt like that was a great starting point for a lot of us, especially a lot of people of colour, to have a contact in that music industry, starting on the street team, starting to understand what the different roles are of the music industry, building your contacts from there and, you know, taking advantage of those connections that you made. And And I feel like, especially East West Records, there's a lot of us that have gone on to do some amazing things. And, you know, I hope that a lot of the East West Street Team members can safely say that, the street team was their starting platform. I don't know any other way that I would have done it. There would, there's a few, there would have been a few internships, but would we have known about internships? I wouldn't even know where to find a Warner Music internship. If I wasn't around the street team and in the office and stuff, would I even have known that there was internships available? Probably not. And and just to learn how stuff happened, I just thought that people. You know, the records were played on the radio and people just bought them. I didn't realize that there was there was a whole team of people that actually did stuff and were involved in the whole process. Um, So, yeah, I think that that's the most valuable thing that I I had that
0: street team for sure. How much did the business reflect you when you walked into it that first time when you could look back and there was a mirror that there was someone that looked like Mel Rudder on the other side that could that you could talk to that had shared experience that you could get advice from?
1: There wasn't too many, but when I did see somebody of colour, I was just like, oh, wow, if if they can do it, then I can do it too. I think that that's so valuable. That's important for me to get across and for people to know, like it's so important to see people that look like me doing, uh, being able to achieve certain things and, you know, and hopefully they can follow. That was so valuable. I think at the time there was, Toponiswa was impressed. It's literally one or two maybe. And as soon as you see somebody of colour, um, especially back in those days, there was a kind of like, you gave each other the look. You know, I'm sure at some point, you know, I, I spoke with Taponiswar, and, you know, she gave me some insight on the company and then it just built from there.
0: Talking about those early mentors, who were the people that inspired you or you were able to look to for advice during the early days of your career? When I first
1: started on the street team, there was Taponiswar that was at um, East West Records in the press team. So in terms of Black people that I could have a conversation with and understand their journey and, and you know, try and reflect it into what I'm doing, um, Toponiswa was definitely one of the key people when I first started there. And then she went to ha- have a baby and then it was uh, Sandra Scott who took her place um, on, on uh, maternity leave. So Sandra Scott was in the press team and I just learned so much from those two, just in terms of just navigating around the office and watching how they do stuff and, you know, how you talk and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but also keeping very much still a part of the culture, you know, that they've grown up with, but was able to adapt it into the working environment, which was a very let's be honest, white environment. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was valuable. And then there was other people, um, other Black people at uh, other companies, such as uh, Jennifer Mills was over at Sony BMG. There was Semtets that was over at Def Jam. You know, there, were, there was key people that I would have seen in the club promotion, street team stratosphere. A little bit later on, I started off as a temp. Um, in the club promotions department. And uh, as I was finishing uni, um, you know, I was able to have a full time job by the time I finished there, um, which was great. And then by that time, there would have been a, f- a few more key black people that would have started there. So there was Cookie Price. Cookie is just a powerhouse. Cookie and Taps were, you know, those two key people within that company. That helped me a lot.
0: One of the things you mentioned in the earlier part of that answer was about maintaining culture whilst being able to navigate that business world and being and around that office. And I'm really interested in your expanding on that, because that almost sounds like it's really easy to lose a sense of self when trying to kind of integrate into what is a completely different world. Did you feel that when you started working in there?
1: It was a whole different world for me. I remember my first week and they said, oh, we've got these award tickets that are going spare do you want to go and I was just like okay and I remember going on my own I didn't know anybody there nobody was talking to me there the main people were on the tables but then we were up in the balcony but I knew no one and I didn't know how to act I didn't know what to say to people so I literally just sat there but you know just, just going forward I've I, Felt like talking to um, those ladies and, you know, being around Hakeem, who's another person of colour. Just navigating around how things worked or how you said things to people or the the everyday conversations was really important. It was about understanding and, and learning that. From a cultural perspective, it was quite hard... At the beginning, because, you know, I I just felt like, yes, R&B and hip hop were in those labels at the time. They weren't really a priority unless you were super hot. You know, we had Blazing Squad as our hip hop artist for the UK. We had Oxide and Neutrino. We had Tweet for the US. It would have been fabulous and people like that, you know. So it was hard to in terms of really understanding how to speak to certain people in the in those offices. You just had to be very careful about
0: how you put stuff across. I mean I started in club promotions myself. And one of the great things about club promotions it gives you a window into a lot of different worlds within the business. So how did you settle upon being a plugger at national radio? And what was the attraction of that?
1: I probably fell into it, I'll be honest. Club promotions were going for, uh, after that, probably eight years or something like that. And then all of a sudden, you know, there was lots of changes at all the labels and club promotions were no more at most of the companies. And they just felt like club promotions could be done out of house. Um, So uh, there was no need for club promotions. So there was, a, what was a great and easy transition for me is a lot of the club DJs were also on radio. So it would have been the Manny Nortes, it would have been the Shorty Blitz, it, there would have been the Westwoods. You know, all of those I had those relationships with already. Um, and there was the radio department that didn't have those relationships. So when the club promotions department dissolved, I think that they wanted to keep me. So I was then moved to the radio department um, at East West. It might have changed to Atlantic by this time, uh, Atlantic UK. My boss, Damien, kind of inherited me. Whether he really wanted me or not is a completely (laughs) different thing, but he got me. And uh, I've been with him ever since. I was able to learn more about radio plug-in as a great transition from club promotions into radio just with the contacts that I already had so um, that was really helpful and um, you know uh, from a from a radio standpoint being around Choice FM which moved into Capital Extra and You know, One Extra had started um, and was doing really well. KISS was doing its thing. It was just good to just learn off of that radio team and see how they work. Um, So it was almost like, yes, I had my contacts, but I just had to learn how to do stuff all over again. That's how I transitioned into radio promotions. And I've been there ever since. I I feel like radio has just been a, a, a massive part of my...
0: My life. The world of the radio plugger, the national radio plugger, has always been a notoriously white one. Once I transitioned, like you from Club Promo, I went and did national radio plugging for a while, and it was a world that I never really felt comfortable in because I never felt I truly belonged. I mean, I was pretty much an anomaly in that world being a black plugger. How did you find that? Obviously there's years betweens, but how did you find that? Obviously being a black person in what is a predominantly white world, dealing with predominantly, you know, certainly at the bigger national radio stations, white producers, was that an impediment? Did you find any pushbacks? I mean, were you treated as an equal?
1: I think it's actually still a very present conversation. I still think that there's work to do. I don't know whether it's because there's no interest in it from a black perspective or or what but there's just not that many of us I never want to think that I'm being ignored by radio producers because I'm black maybe they're just not into the music or whatever I know that other people have better relationships than I do but I, I just want to try and break that stigma and the reason why I say it's still very present. I think the mindset of radio and the people that use radio need to change. I remember like a year and a half ago now, so it's still very much present. I remember somebody, this is, this is after I left Warner, somebody said to me, uh, they, were, they were using me for their artist, who was quite a big artist at the time, in terms of his profile. Um, He was really popular. He was on the TV. uh, But in terms of his music career, wasn't great at that point. I started to do the campaign for them and, you know, got them in the right places uh, to start with. And then we were about to go on to the, the main record that we were going to try and push for national radio. And they took me off the project and they said... Well, you know, it's always better a record comes from a white plugger than a black. And this is actually a black person that said that to me. So them thinking that I'm not going to get be able to see that record through because it feels better coming from a, a white plugger is just wild to me, but that I think that's what the music industry believe. A lot of them believe, which I think is actually really sad. And really scary, and that that it it feels like we've still got a long way to go in terms of certain industries and certain departments believing that Black people can be at the forefront of these things.
0: And how do you think that switch of mindset is going to reflect on the way that the music industry treats Black executives and? hopefully provides them levels of opportunity they've they've, they've never had before because the record companies themselves coming out and pledging a lot of money for diversity schemes. How much of that do you believe is cosmetic, but how much of it is real? Do you think they really want to make this change? Do you feel that from your dealings when you're talking to people from inside record companies that there's a real desire for inclusiveness and to offer opportunity for people like yourself and those that are coming behind us?
1: I think it's 50-50. I'll be honest with you. I think... Quite a lot of it is cosmetic and I saw it for myself. I didn't believe a lot of the companies and a lot of the people that were blowing up my phone, um, you know, saying, oh, yeah, it's so bad. And, you know, I've been reading natives three times over the weekend. Like, shut up. Like, you're not. You're just saying that. And they—they they, a lot of them were just hoping that it just blew over. But... I've, I've seen a change and I've seen that a lot of these companies and a lot of the corporate companies knew that they needed to change. I had conversations with some people and I, you know, they were asking me, so what do I do? How how do I employ, you know, HR departments were asking me, how do I employ black people? It's not my job. I'm not in HR. But the fact that they were asking that question They knew that they've not even thought about it before and they knew that they had to start thinking about it properly. And I think what's important is people like me, you, various people, we need to hold them to it. We have to hold them to everything that they said that they were going to do, every single thing. So what's the feedback? What's happening? How many black people have you got on the team now? are you just employing these people just because they're black or are they here to actually do a good job? It's, it's so important that we hold them to that.
0: How much do you think that the economic power of black music and the success and strength that it has in the market has been also a catalyst for, for record companies having to make that change? Because we've seen certain examples of, of certain things that have gone on over the past year where artists, staff have been very very much instrumental in moving and making change which may not have been the case a year two years three years ago do you think that economic power that black music has around the world is also a catalyst for labels to look inwardly and say we have to show that we're more diverse because we want to be a part of this world that is now making a lot of money and attract these artists to us
1: you know you look at the top 10 top 20 chart and you can see how black music is so powerful and a lot of those artists are doing it themselves or, you know, I'm not not really entirely sure there is a complete formula to a lot of the stuff that is being done. You know, a lot of stuff takes off virally. I think our, our culture is the strongest in terms of making something super hot. When we get behind something, like we are unstoppable and you can't buy that but a lot of these corporate companies want a piece of that so they're taking advantage of that and they're trying to get get in these social influencers and you know these key people and these key movers and shakers to try and make stuff happen so they know that they have to tap in to try and understand this world a little bit more because they actually have no idea
0: Do you think your your gender and being a minority in the business has held back your career at any point?
1: I think it's probably been a slower process for me than some. I remember seeing somebody tweet the other day that I used to work with a white guy. He had to admit that he met his future boss at an event or a party and they got on so well that he was offered a job. But That's not how it worked for me. I had to flip in work all hours of the day and night. This guy had no experience and he admitted that he had no experience. I've had to prove myself every single time. I've had to show that, you know, I'm not just here for the parties. I'm not just here uh, for the fun. I'm actually here to make a career out of this and to be taken seriously. That's taken a very long
0: time. Do you see women having a greater voice in the boardroom where decisions are being made? Is that something that you can look further down the road at? Yeah, you know, really happening.
1: It can happen, and it is probably happening more so than anything at Atlantic. Now we have a a, a co CEO, Briny. Um, she's earned her stripes, and she's definitely up there with the senior management. Um, now but there's not that many you can probably count on one hand at the whole of Warner Music how many are probably in that senior marketing meeting that they have there's probably a few so there's a long 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 way to go I think we're like 10 years out you look at the US for instance and I I remember always hearing about those major senior people Sylvia Rhone or you know, uh, Mona Scott or, you know, those massive names that you heard about. There wasn't really anyone back then and there there isn't anyone at the moment that has got that name and, you know, that kind of stature yet. So there's still a long, long way to go for the UK. The UK are super behind on it.
0: Mel, what was the catalyst for you leaving Warner Brothers to and then going away and starting your own company? I
1: think there was a lot of factors. I think I got to a point where I had outgrew the company. Um, I didn't necessarily agree with a lot of the um, things that were being done um, or the mindset in terms of supporting uh Black music. I just felt like I was very different to a lot of people there. And I think that they probably felt that too. There was so much happening. You know, there was records that, you know, I was super passionate about. And there was a lot of people that weren't passionate. And, you know, I just felt myself stomping around the office was really super angry all the time in frustration, really. And I think that a lot of people felt that. I had a great relationship with Damien, my boss, at the time. And, you know, we had a we had a conversation and we came to an understanding that, yes, I can still work for the company, but maybe I need to go and do my own thing as well. Um, to just get those frustrations out, like my passion by that time was uplifting these black artists to to work the music that I was super passionate about and it there was there just wasn't enough of it for me um and in terms of my own personal growth as a plugger um as well I just felt like I needed to do my own thing so we came to an understanding where I I still work for the company as a consultant um and still work on all the projects um and I can go and work for other um, labels and uh, managers and artists direct. So it's it's been a an amazing opportunity because I'm still very much a part of the Warner family, um, and I'm still very much involved in um, a lot of the stuff that happens. Um, so I, yeah, I, you know they'll they'll be my my family for life. Um, but now I've got the opportunity to really grow my business, work with other artists that I'm super passionate about, you know, g- give the knowledge that I've got and the experience to these other up-and-coming artists. Like, I, 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 I get so excited when I find a brand-new artist that has never been on the radio. And it's so exciting to me to get that first play I know it just sounds mad, but that first play is so important to me. So, you know, if I can do that for an artist that is not signed, an unsigned artist is 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 super excited because they're doing their own thing. Um, so that's what I take pleasure out of, as well as working with the corporate companies. It's so different working with a massive team of, 30 people to one project at a corporate company to dealing with an independent artist and there's literally probably five people that are working the whole thing. It's great that I've now got the opportunity to work between the two and I'm loving it.
0: You've had a great career and you continue to have a great career. Street team, club promo, national radio plugger, two companies. Do you see Mel Mel Rudder running a label one day?
1: For me personally, I don't think it's it's something that I want to do. I have never felt so, so proud of myself in the last three years setting up my own company. I thought that I knew the music industry when I came out of Warner Music. Um, I was like, yes, I know how a record works. Yes, I know how to market it. Yes, I know everything. I came out of there and I was just like, what is this world of management, publishing, PPL? Like, what is this world? So I felt like I had to learn the music industry all over again. That is my proud achievement. And I, and I, and I want to be able to grow that.
0: It was really interesting, Mel, that you said that you learned about the, the music business again once you left. Did you learn about Mel Rudder again when you left?
1: Totally I knew what I could do as a plugger and I knew my skill set um, I knew that I'm a probably a people's person or whatever um but it's so different when you have your own business. I spent the first year knowing that I was out of Warner Music and certain people or certain contacts. Because I didn't necessarily have the Atlantic name behind me, just not getting back to me. Although, you know, a couple of weeks before, you know, on my Atlantic email address, you know, literally just contacting me all the time and then not hearing anything at all. So I learned a lot about that, Um, but it it was more about what I, I worked out, what I was capable of, really. When you're, when you're having to make those decisions on your own, I was like, I'm not capable of doing that. I can't do that on my own. No way. I need somebody to talk to about it. These last three years, when I'm making those decisions for myself and being confident in those decisions, I never thought that I could do three years ago, four years ago, whatever it is now. So you know, it has been really important in terms of my confidence, my growth, what I'm capable of, what I'm not capable of. Um, I think that's really key to it. Uh, you know, owning up to the fact the stuff that you're not great at, and you you have to work on some stuff because you're not good at it at all. I've had to work on all of those things. It's just been really super beneficial for me. And now I've got that confidence and I feel like I'm now going to these corporate companies and I'm telling them, well, this is how you should be doing it. This is what you should be doing. You know, I had a um, an instance the other day where I I said, this is what you should be doing with it. This is how you should be doing it. And they didn't listen to me. And then it went wrong. In my head, I was just like, well, I told you so. Uh, obviously, I couldn't tell that to them, but knowing that I knew that I was right, but also knowing that it's not, it, yes, I'm working for that company and I can advise, but at the end of the day, they need to make the, their, their decisions. It's those kind of working relationships that I've built and and knowing that I can't control everything and I just know that what I need to do and... To deliver what I need to do, those are those are some of the key things that I've um,
0: I've learned. So, what are your remaining short and long term ambitions? Well,
1: the plug-in company I want to really grow. I'd like to get a bigger team together. I, I want to be able to work um, lots of acts, really grow a team, and 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 give some of these youngsters the opportunity to learn the stuff that I needed to learn. Of people, So that's my goal for that. Um, I also want to grow in terms of artist management as well. For the last three, four years, a couple of us have had a management company. And, you know, a lot of that was to do with getting our passion for music back. Because when you're at a corporate, you start to just become a robot, just going from one track to the other, to the next project my love of music changed. Um, So, you know, having a management company, you know, I think it was important to work and work with some acts that we were actually just genuinely passionate about and managing expectations on it. Like when you work for a, a corporate company, it's all about results. It's all about delivering. And if you don't deliver, then that artist is probably gone within the the first two years or whatever, you know, it wasn't about that for us. It was about, you know, having those small little wins here and there. It was never about the money um, for us. Um, It was about developing acts, getting them to a great place. And I think that we've really achieved that. So I want to continue that. There's still things to learn that I'm learning about every day. So I've got some great opportunities to come out of 2021 and I'm excited about it let's see what happened.
0: Who provides you with inspiration or who has provided you with inspiration over the course of your life and your career?
1: Oh, there's so many in terms of inspiration. It will it will be the people around me that I've worked with. Um, it will be some of the artists that I've worked with who, you know, started from absolutely nothing um, to becoming, you know... Worldwide artist. Um, In terms of inspiration, it's probably my mum. That sounds really weird and it's got nothing to do with music whatsoever. But I've valued her more in the last two years than I probably have before. Um, She started the, um, alongside a few others, she started the Sickle Cell Society back in 1979. There wasn't enough awareness about it. So she felt like she needed to get that awareness out there. And so a team of them set up this society. And, you know, it, it's still going now. She's retired now, but she's a massive inspiration. You know, she just didn't give up with all the obstacles and the hurdles and, you know, starting something in the 70s when nobody really gave a damn, being in Halston every day. With her and see you know, her doing a full time job and then doing the society, going to the society afterwards. I didn't really value how much work she put into everything. I, I grew up not seeing her often because after school I'd have to have somebody look after me. Um, so we didn't grow up close like that. But I understand why she did it now. And it just makes complete sense to me. Uh, what she did, why she did it, why it was important. So I think that she's an inspiration, like in terms of not giving up, like doing what you're passionate about. You know, you, you she was the underdog and, and she literally just worked her ass off. So she's probably the biggest inspiration for me.
0: That is a great story. And what's the proudest moment in your career?
1: And it's actually setting up my own company. Um, I think that's my proudest moment um actually having a company of my own a black female led company is probably my greatest achievement so far and I actually think that I've got more achievements to come it's not over yet
0: and what advice would you give to a young female starting out in the business today
1: connections are key networking is key don't give up anyone that says you can't do that, or that's a bit bold for you to say that. I look at some of these younger people now, and they've got this confidence about them. And I love it. I just want to say to them, these corporates will try and, you know, maneuver you and mold you into what they want. Don't let them dim your light. Keep going. People that you work with, they can help you, they can support you. But also think for yourself, always look five years ahead, always look at what the next thing could be, which I think that the, the young ones definitely do, but they definitely need to do more of it.
0: What is your hope for people of colour in the 21st century music business?
1: World domination. <laughs> um, we need more people at the table and any way to get in, if you if you don't have the connections... Um, find a way you know and what the hope is that you know those boardrooms are going to start to look a little bit more mixed than they already do Um, and that's what that's what's important I think 2021 2022 we've got some work to do we need to build we need to work as a team that's my hope uh, for black people in the music industry we need to be at those tables
0: and when you look back on your career, when it's over in the year, in the many years to come down the road, Mel, what do you want Mel Rudder's legacy to be? Do
1: you know what? I always strive to try and help people. Um, And I think that I want to just be known as one of those people that have always tried to support as many people as I can. Obviously, I've got work to do and plug-in to do and management to do so there's only so much that I can do but if I can try and mentor as many people as I can I will do so and I hope that you know uh, and, and and it's not an ego thing I, I think it's more about if if somebody can say that I help them during their career that is that works for me that's that's what's important to me
0: Mel Rudder, thank you very much for joining us on Did You Know?
1: Thank you so much, and this was great. I'm really happy to be a part of
0: it. I'm Adrian Sykes, and this was Did You Know Pioneers, a Downstreet production. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Mel for sharing her story. Our thanks as ever to Danny D, partner and true pioneer, Sean Springer, our producer Cass Denton, Ella Ruby on the socials and Vega Brothers for our theme music. Thanks also to Dave Roberts and Tim Ingham at MBW and to Evie, Wren, David and the team at WX. You'll soon be able to apply to be mentored by the guests of the Did You Know Pioneers podcast. Details coming very soon. Did You Know is available wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure that you subscribe to never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review. And look out for our next episode, which is part one of my conversation with artist, producer, remixer, publisher, and co-founder of the Did You Know Pioneers podcast, Danny D, where we talk about our respective journeys in the music business. This was Did You Know Pioneers. Until the next time.